podcast uses profanity and topics may be disturbing for some listeners. Listen at your own risk. Welcome back to Helenia's podcast. I'm Bryce. I'm Amanda. And hello. Hi. Howdy. How's it going? It's going. I'm just drinking my gritty water. Or I guess gritty Gatorade. Super stoked for you on that. You want some? No, thanks. Good. <laughs> okay. I'm good. I've got my own um, non-gritty Gatorade. So I think I'll pass. Um, I would prefer it not to be gritty, but doctor told me I had to take this stupid stuff. I don't even know what it's called anymore. I forgot. But it's a powder you mix in with your liquid. And it says any non-carbonated liquid. So Gatorade counts. Sounds like Gatorade. Gatorade and water. But boy, since I've started drinking, my water intake has um, gone way up. Oh, really? Yeah, I've uh, been drinking at minimum 44 ounces of water throughout the day, throughout my workday. Holy shit. And then I have to have like another 10 to 20 ounces with dinner. That sounds like a lot of work. It is. My bladder hurts. That's the worst part about being (laughs) hydrated is that you're always peeing. I hate it. It's like, I would like to be dehydrated right now. I mean, yeah, I feel you on that. Well, I mean, I am, but. That's different reasons. Yeah. I mean, I guess it's probably a good thing that I'm hydrated. I just, I hate it. You're going to hate it too. Being hydrated is really unproductive. When you think about all the time you spend in the bathroom. And I already spend a lot of time in the bathroom. So it's just. I'm I'm going to tell you now, I finished my 44 ounces and started on this one before we started recording. So I'm going to have to have a potty break. Got you. Just let me know. <laughs> I'll try to hold it as long as possible. <laughs> but um, no, I, I think I'm good. What did I do? Oh, I did have a story for you. Oh, OK. I'm here. I'm listening. So my dad calls me today. Uh-huh. Because he just listened to episode 102, the one that just released. Is that the kiosk one? That's the Koisk one, yeah. Okay. Did you did you hear that? Like, I, I physically had to remind myself <laughs> how to say it. <laughs> I know you did. I could see the pain in your face, too. <laughs> he wasn't calling about that. I don't know how far in he's gotten, so I don't actually know if he's heard the Koisk or <laughs> any of that. Mm-hmm. But what I do know is he heard the plan about glitter bombing him. <laughs> That's fine. And now he, he doesn't know when it's coming. Well, he called and he said, if you guys send me anything with those contents, I will never forgive you. Did and you so, remember which contents he was talking about? The glitter bomb. Okay. So he was you talking did about glitter. I, I just edited it. So yeah, I did remember. Mm. Um <laughs> But then I realized that we don't need to glitter bomb him. My mom's going to do that for us with all of her Christmas Christmas. decorations. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I would like to point out it is October 9th. And my mother Mm -hmm. is already talking about putting out her Christmas decorations. Okay. (laughs) You've got to wait until at least. I'll wait until after Thanksgiving. That's that's me personally. But you've got to make time for Halloween. Hold on. This is how I told her she could get away with it because I got you, mom. Um, I told her just tell everyone her house is dressing up for Halloween, but it's dressing up in Christmas decorations. No, I yeah. don't agree. Yep, no. she's doing mm-hmm. it. Yep. 
So when I get to her house on Sunday, I'm guessing she's going to have her Grinch tree up. <laughs> and I, it doesn't bother me. But how are you? I'm good. Um, I know I told you, but I'm going to tell you again. We have no more carpet in the house. It is magnificent. I'm very jealous, actually. It's, it's so great. I would be more than fine with no carpet in this house. But we still have two rooms, so I'm very jealous. If it was up to James, we'd never have carpet again. And oh, I would be it, perfectly okay with that. Yeah, if it were up to me, I'd be doing the same thing. No carpet ever again. He is a little upset because um, <laughs> we pulled up the carpet in the dining room and hallway. And it was tile floors. Couldn't tell what tile. It's like the cheap linoleum, the really thin yeah. ones. Mm -hmm. So as he's pulling up the carpet and pulling up the spike strips, the tiles are coming up in random spots too, which it annoyed the hell out of him, but like he can't help it. I get it. It's going to happen. Mm -hmm. So I was like, that's fine. It's perfectly okay. We can just pull it up and put down some, some of like the click vinyl, the luxury vinyl. Uh-huh. And so he's like, you said all we had to do was get rid of the carpet, and now you're adding on more stuff. I'm like that's life of home ownership. <laughs> what do you I mean? I'm like, look, it's fine. Look, I pulled it up on Lowe's. I was like, look, I've already got the square footage. I didn't. He had to help me redo it, but I was not far off in my estimate. I just want to say that. Okay. But I was like, we've already got the square footage. We can lay this for like. $300, that's including tax. That's not a lot. And you don't have to do anything. You put it right over the subfloor. And he's like, no, you don't have to do anything. I'll have to do it. And I'm like, okay, now you're just splitting hairs. Now but, you're just whining. Yeah. It's that's, waterproof. You just click it in and slap it down. Boom, you're done. Sir, that's married life. Yes. Because you know what's even better is that my dad also <laughs> mentioned something today. Because I was talking to my mom on the phone about my little sister. And we were talking about chandeliers for my sister's room. Because, you know, she's got to be fancy. Of course. And my dad ended up calling. So we had a party call. And my dad said something about my mom being a bad influence. And we're like, on who, though? Who is she being a bad influence on? And he's like, you guys are looking at stuff. And it's going to be more work for me to do. Well. Sounds like a you problem. You got married, sir. You chose your crazy yeah. wife. You also chose to have a trillion kids with her. Not a trillion. <laughs> there's there's four or five of us. You chose to be outnumbered. You you chose this life. And listen, mm -hmm. he chose early on to be outnumbered, okay? He chose that life. I didn't. I you just answered the calling. See, I, I tell James the same thing. Like, you reproduced with me. We had a conversation about this before. Like, yeah, this one was a whoopsie. But the last one we planned. And we had a whole conversation. You agreed to this. You, you made your choices, okay? Yes. You My made point... your bed. Now pull up the carpet and then we'll lie in it. Not in the carpet, in the bed. In the bed, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> that carpet was like, gross. <laughs> So anyways, yeah, that's um, that's really nice that you have your carpets out of there. The floor does look pretty good from what I can see, but it's kind of dark in there. It's, yeah, it is a little dark, but I mean, there's some spots that will, yeah, we probably should sand it. But like for the most part, no, she looks great. 
Don't tell James that because he's going to complain. No, that's something I'll probably just do and just be like, oh my goodness, we have to do the whole room. What? Whoopsie. so crazy. Because I have to sand and stain. Now, I told here's the- him that the next thing I did, I was like, that's fine. I'll just paint. I don't need your help to paint. I can paint, which was also the wrong thing to say because then he was like, well, what are you painting? And I'm like, probably the whole house, but. Mind your business. Yeah. This is. This is my house too, okay? Fine. Something about me being a bad foreman because I only gave him a 15-minute lunch, but you really need more time to eat. Did you feed him, though? I feel like a great foreman also feeds them, you know? I I bought pizza and sodas. Okay, so I made the pizza. I cooked it. So what I'm hearing is you're actually a really great foreman. He's just a really whiny employee. Yes. I think so, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Sounds because we, about right. we got the majority of it done while the third employee was taking a nap. So that's when I was like, okay, shovel the food. Let's go. Let's keep going. Because she's not mm-hmm. in the way right now. You don't get a say. This is our time <laughs> to yeah. get things done. Do you want to do it with or without the child helping? Do you Heavy want air quotes on the helping? Do you want the dead weight employee or do you want you want them on their break? Yeah. Let's let's go. Come on. Show so, the pizza. Let's eat. Make it quick. Chop, chop. Mm-hmm. It seems it. like that's the reasonable thing to do. But that's, what do I know? Hey, that's what I thought. But so. All right. Well, do you want to do some time traveling and travel to when our listeners are hearing us? I do. Happy Thanksgiving, guys. Happy Gobble Day. Yes. Gobble what are you having? What's your, okay. What's your favorite part? Of Thanksgiving dinner. What can you not go without? Uh, Okay. You're probably going to die because Cody and I don't do traditional Thanksgiving. This is the one holiday that Cody and I stay home. Okay. For for us. Like, we don't go anywhere. Everyone's, we get invites everywhere. I'm not saying we don't get invites, but we already do with a runaround for Christmas. This is Thanksgiving. We're just staying home. So, normally what we do... We have two options. Um, Some years we get like a really nice cut of steak and we'll have steak and potatoes and, you know, a vegetable. Mm -hmm. Other years we've done Chinese takeout. Ooh. And so I don't know what we're going to do this year yet. We'll probably do Chinese takeout. Mm -hmm. because That just sounds delicious right in this moment. Um, (laughs) But that's normally what we do. So we're not quite as traditional, but that's also because like, the one thing I would prefer is potatoes and I can make potatoes anytime. Love potatoes. So what about you? What's your must have Thanksgiving? Food? Oh, the dressing. Which, like the, oh. The turkey dressing? Is that the stuffing? No, stuffing and dressing are different. Okay. I wasn't sure if it was a Southern thing. Is that like the it, gravy? No, it's, it's like stuffing, but it's prepared differently and i don't know i think it's mainly just prepared differently let's see what's the difference but stuffing is definitely a southern thing and i think more northern well i guess more northern than the south does stuffing we just call it stuffing let's see what's the difference in dressing and stuffing okay yeah so stuffing is cooked in the cavity of the turkey so the juices soak into the ingredients 
making it more flavorful. Dressing gets cooked on its own and needs extra liquid to make it more flavorful. Okay, so I guess we technically do... I think my mom normally does dressing, but we just call it stuffing. So it's not cooked in the turkey. Correct. I don't think... I think she might do some in the turkey, but she makes enough or some's in the turkey and some's not. But it's been so long since I've had Thanksgiving dinner with my mother. Mm -hmm. I don't remember. Actually, that's not even true. I'm sorry. My parents don't do the traditional Thanksgiving Day dinner either. They do it the weekend before so that we don't have to choose families. And I still choose to stay home and not go to Cody's mom's. Nothing to do with Cody's mom. It's that's the holiday. (laughs) We are home. Um, Oh, okay. That was kind of brutal. No, this I love Cody's mom. She's really great. I just. That's y'all's holiday with you. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that started because, like, when I grew up, I don't remember going to my grandparents' house or anywhere for Thanksgiving. My parents always did Thanksgiving at home. And so I want to do Thanksgiving at home, and I I won that tradition. I feel like that's fair, though. Like, you're just, I don't know, you're just doing your own Thanksgiving. Y'all are thankful for each other. And you're thankful, I assume, to not have to go anywhere. Oh, super thankful about not (laughs) having to go anywhere. It's literally the best thing. All the other holidays are always done somewhere else. And so this one's ours. And no, I don't invite people over. This is just us. It does help that my family is so far away. Because we always plan to like, okay, we'll take a vacation. We'll spend Christmas at one house, Thanksgiving, like Christmas at my family's Thanksgiving at his. And then the next year we'll switch. Uh-huh. And that never happens because kids keep coming in November. So, or like That's... I get a new job and have to work through the holidays, stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. So one day we'll follow through with that plan, but it definitely helps. So we only have one place to go Two if we go to like his mom and dad's families separate. Yeah. See, and that's just not the reality for me because all of my family is near. Plus, Cody has a split family. Mm-hmm. So, for Christmas, we alternate whose house we go to on Christmas Eve. So, like, this year we'll be at Cody's mom's house for Christmas Eve. Um, But so this year it'll be like we'll go to Cody's mom's house Christmas Eve. We'll do presents there that night Um, because we we stopped spending the night there a while ago. So, we go home, mm-hmm. sleep in our own bed. We get up Christmas morning. Um, we then go down to my grandma's house, which is like an hour away. So we'll see my grandma, my my parents, brother, sister, all that stuff. And then we'll find time to go to his grandma's house, Cody's grandma's house, and then to his dad's house. That sounds and, like a lot of work. Uh-huh. And years that we go to my parents' house on Christmas Eve, it's Christmas Eve at my parents' house. We'll go home. Um, no, I did not. We'll go home. Next morning, we go to my grandma's house. And then it's figuring out when to go to his grandma's, his dad's, and his mom's on Christmas Day. That's stressful. I'm tired. Uh Uh-huh. But I've always known that rush. Like, I've always known that rush growing up. I remember, I know this is premature. I know you guys are hearing this Thanksgiving week, but we're talking about Christmas. It's fine. (laughs) Um. But growing up, I remember, like, we would get up and we would go to one grandma's house and we'd go to another grandma's house. Some years we'd go to the grandpa's houses and then we'd go to great grandma's um, church thing where we always had tamales and stuff. Like, it was, 
I always remember being busy on Christmas. See, we had my grandma and everybody came over to her house and my mom, um, her parents died really early in her life. So we, I really only had like one grandma to go to. So luckily I never had that amount of running. Yeah. And I'm super grateful that I still have my grandparents. It's just a lot. Mm-hmm. Just sorry guys. And I don't know if we'll keep that up. Um, if, and when we have children, sorry, dad, we'll figure something else out, but that's just a lot. So anyways, yeah, that's, that's our holiday yeah. traditions. Do you have any other holiday traditions? I don't think so. Not Oh, sangria. Oh, that's one just, just with me and James. We'll, I'll make a good holiday sangria, you know, cranberries and shit. All the, all the goodies. Yeah. And he, we did it the first one together because it was COVID. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Our first Christmas together, we didn't go to his family's because it was COVID. I'm um, immunocompromised. Um, a couple of his family members are immunocompromised, so we took COVID very seriously. We just hung out at home, and I think I was like, well, we're not going anywhere. We might as well drink. So I made a sangria, and it was delicious. And, yeah, I'm going to do that every year. You can't this year. Oh, no, I, you can this year. Yeah. I just got to wait, like, two hours after some... Yeah, two hours after drinking a glass. So you'll have to pump and be prepared. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. Well, aren't you so lucky? I'm ready to drink again. I'm not doing this anymore. Well, I can't drink right now, so. Well, we're going to have a very sober Thanksgiving. Uh-huh. Very mm-hmm. sober. I think. I don't know. It might not be. I'll let you guys know. I probably won't let you guys know right away. You guys won't know until next year. Sorry. Yeah, you won't know until St. Patrick's Day, but you'll know eventually. (laughs) You'll know eventually (laughs) because I won't be ready to talk about it until St. Patrick's (laughs) Day, okay? Let me cope how I need to. (laughs) So, all right, well, are you ready to hear about all of our things? Yes. You scared me because I thought you were about to go into a story and I was like, Oh, shit. I have a true crime. Is she about to say a true crime? No, 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 no. You Ooh. have a true crime. Yes, I have a paranormal. Ooh. No, I we not... both came with a true crime today for a minute. Okay. <laughs> that's because that's happened before, <sighs> except for I was right that time and you came with the wrong story. <laughs> yeah. I think that was not long after Brie left and we were still trying to get our footing mm-hmm. with just you and I. I like that you defend me, but really, I just screw up a lot. It, you do. <laughs> I take your stories. I bring the wrong stories. We just normally cut most of that. We cut about half of that out. So Amanda (laughs) doesn't seem as terrible to work with. (laughs) Really, I'm just a nightmare. She, it is. Every time (laughs) I have a story, I'm like, this is mine. And I have to explicitly tell her, (laughs) I am laying claim to this. And I have to tell her for months. D.B. Cooper, mine. Which I am excited to hear about. (laughs) When I do it, when I finish it. I think that one's going to be a long one. I'm trying to see if I can put it into one part or if I really am going to need to do two parts. Mm-hmm. I think I'm going to have to do two. I get that. But what else? What else was there that was Zodiac? That one's mine. You can have it. Because I've got oh, that fart knocker BTK. That's fine. I also have laid claim to Chupacabra and Bigfoot. 
Mm-hmm. I have not touched either of them. What was the other one? The Bridgewater Triangle? Um, yeah. I know you're waiting on that one. I am. I already have plans on when I'm going to cover it, too. So you're welcome. It's about damn time. I was going to do it last year for your birthday, but then something happened and I didn't. I don't remember what we did for my birthday, but I think I made James do it. You did make James do it. It was... Because I had paranormal. Yeah, that'd be why you had paranormal. Mm -hmm. I'll I'll still figure it out. Don't worry. I have plans of when I'm doing it. Anyways. um, All right. Some socials. Yeah, some socials. We got those. We got some socials. We're trying to be social. Mm-hmm. We're, we're not social. I don't we're know why. Great. No. <laughs> but we mm-hmm. do have our Instagram, Hell on Heels Podcast, our Facebook, Hell on Heels Podcast, and our ex, formerly Twitter, Hell on Heels Pod. Um, those are all up and going. We're posting pictures for all of our episodes there. Um, we have a new structure, so those pictures should be getting out as long as, as well as more social type posts, um, mm-hmm. including. If you have not already seen it, the dash hole, he was posted on there. Um, <laughs> he would have been posted today. Nope, not today. This week in October. So you guys might need to swipe on through, swipe back to see Dashy. Mm-hmm. Um, but we're getting those up and going. Um, not up and going. We're getting those posted. And then we also have our link tree up. So if you are having issues finding where to listen or which I hope you're not finding issues where to listen if you're listening to us. But to each their own. Yeah. Uh, you can find links to all of our socials, to our Patreon, to all the fun things, as well as our email, hellonheelspodcast at gmail.com. We do have our Patreon up. If you want to see some specials, our specials right now are game game nights, because who doesn't love a good game night of Amanda and I playing the Goose Game? The Goose Game was great. And we need to play Demonologist or the other one soon. Yes. Or us being really shitty ghost hunters. That's always fun. Also, if we're going to play, I have someone that might want to play with us. Oh, okay. She's much better than I am. Perfect. That means she's much better than I am, too. And I need that desperately. Yes. So if she's okay with being recorded and all that fun stuff, um, she'll she'll do it. I don't know if she will. I'll talk to her. (laughs) But we do need to play, do another game night. Anyways, so we have all of those up and going. If you want to reach out to us whatever it is you can do on any of the social media or through email we are monitoring those and then i think that's it i'm ready for a story okay so in the spirit of thanksgiving i have a thanksgiving story for you so i'm sorry in advance um you want to know what's really great is i also text amanda and was like hey by the way this is the a few days ago so that we were prepared Hey, mm-hmm. by the way, this is the Thanksgiving episode. And she's like, I'm already on it. For once. For, For once. once. I You're had looked at the calendar and was like, hot damn, I've got just the story for this. And now everyone's going to hate me. So let's talk well, about it. Well, I just <laughs> want to take credit for that calendar being so beautiful and listing out which episodes are what. You're welcome. Oh, absolutely. Like, <laughs> I already know what I'm getting you for Christmas. I just have to do the thing where I get it. So it'll make sense when you see it. You're already a step ahead of me, so. Okay, cool. This is this story takes place on Thanksgiving Day in 2009. Jim and Muriel Sitton were hosting Thanksgiving for their family that year. They had a nice home in a gated community. It was upscale. Uh, they lived in Jupiter, Florida, which is about 50 miles north of Miami. 
Mm-hmm. There was. I kind of love that Jupiter, Florida. Right. I want to live there so I can be like you know, boys go to Jupiter to get more stupider. Jupiter, but then you're going to Jupiter. But I'm not a boy. That's valid. <laughs> so that's their problem. Uh, there was about 16 family members at the house, and they had been there for about three hours. They were obviously eating dinner. They were singing songs, playing the piano, just very wholesome shit. Um, the Sittens' six-year-old daughter, Michaela, she had even put on an impromptu rehearsal for the Nutcracker that she was performing in the next day. So she she danced. Um, some sources said she sang songs from the show after dinner. And she had also written on cards how thankful she was for her family and hung them from a clothesline. Aww. Uh, Muriel's cousin had also attended that year, and this was pretty much unheard of. Paul Michael Marriage, he was the black sheep of his family. He very rarely came to family gatherings. Jim had actually only met him twice, and he hadn't seen him in over 10 years. Oh, dang. Yeah. So now Paul wasn't invited to this event, but like no one's going to really make a stink about it. They didn't know that he was coming um, until he was already on his way to the house. So like, what are you going to do? But during the gathering, Paul was said to be distant, not really active in the festivities. He didn't really talk to anybody. He didn't eat anything. Which I would take offense to. How dare you? He kind of just sat quietly in the background as people ate and sang and played the piano. And he wasn't always like this. It was said that in high school and growing up, Paul, he went to a prominent preparatory school in Miami. He was in honors classes. He was a varsity athlete. He graduated third in his class at this high school, Gulliver Prep. And this is like a pretty prestigious high school. Some of the notable alumni that went there, obviously I had to start with Enrique Iglesias. Oh, of course. If you hadn't, I would have been upset. Like I'm scrolling down the page and I'm like, done. He's the first one. That's all that matters. I mean, honestly, I've got two more, but really Enrique Iglesias, he graduated yeah. from this high school. What more do you need to know? Prestigious. No. Nothing else needs to be known. Um, Blake Ross, he was the co-creator of Mozilla Firefox. And Eduardo Saverin, the, co- the co-founder of Facebook, also went to this school. And Dang. at Gulliver, Paul was... He was a kicker on the football team, but he also played baseball and soccer. He was president of the French Honor Society, and he was described as his classmates as handsome, mature, driven, confident. He was personable, yet quiet and likable, but not popular. And one girl even said he was just fun to sit next to in class. So he's like the guy that doesn't have like a little click, but he could be friends with whoever. Yeah, that's what it sounded like. And another student that was kind of reminiscing on going to school with him after all this horrible shit we're about to talk about happened. Um, she said, like, nobody was really popular in their school because they went to a school for smart kids. Everybody was smart. 
So it's like nobody really stood mm. out way, way more than the next person. Not that I'm trying to be rude, but I still feel like there's going to be like a little popularity because it's not necessarily about who's smarter than who it's, you know, who's more, I mean, your popularity, you might not have like, Mm -hmm. Oh, the jocks and the nerds. Like, yeah, you're all nerds, but you're going to have those cooler nerds. Yeah. And with him, he just sounded really Mm well-rounded on his senior page in his yearbook. Paul left a message to all 32 of his family members and his senior page was basically kind of dedicated to his family. And it said things like, I'll love you now and forever. I've been so lucky to be blessed with having twin sisters and being your protective older brother. He also went on to say, mom and dad, thank you for all that you have given me. His football coach said that he believed Paul would be running a company or a business. And Paul did have plans. He had plans to become a doctor. He went on to attend and graduate from the University of Miami. But after graduating, he never held a job, and he depended on his parents for money well into his adult life. His mom claimed that he had a nervous breakdown at 19 while he was enrolled in college, and after that nervous breakdown, he continued to suffer from severe depression and obsessive-compulsive disorder. And some people said that Paul even showed signs of this in high school. One classmate remembered that he was obsessed with losing his hair because apparently his dad had suffered hair loss. And he started using Rogaine in high school as a preventative measure. That seems like a really big preventative measure. Yeah, I'm not sure how Rogaine works, but I didn't think it was a preventative Yeah, I don't know. Mm -hmm. I've never used it, but I'll let you know if I do. Okay. He, Paul had a history of mental health struggles. He attempted suicide by shooting himself. The details of this were unclear. He once reported his sister to police for trying to kill him. But after a few weeks, he dropped the request for the protection order. And he threatened killing his sister multiple times um his sister carla marriage was a real estate agent and she even at one time filed a formal complaint but then she withdrew it um in 2006 she alleged that paul threatened to kill her and then himself this is a lot it's yeah it is um a pretty long history While Paul was at the Sitton's house that Thanksgiving day, he went out to his car for a moment. And when he came back in, he had a gun. It was, it's still unclear of who was shot when. But before the 35-year-old Paul was finished, four people had lost their lives at the hands of their family member. Paul's 33-year-old twin sisters, Carla Marriage and Lisa Knight, Both lost their lives, as well as Lisa's unborn child. Paul's aunt, 79-year-old Raymonde Joseph, she was shot in the sternum. And as her husband, Antoine, ran to her aid, Paul aimed the gun at him and fired twice. Aimed the gun at his head 
and fired twice, and the gun misfired both times. Paul's cousin's daughter, who this was allegedly the first time he had met six-year-old Michaela Sitton, Paul shot her as she slept in her bed. He shot her, left the room. He hesitated for a moment and then went back in and shot her again. Why? Lisa's Knight, Lisa Knight's husband, Patrick Knight, so Paul's brother-in-law, was shot in the stomach, and he had to spend three months in a medically induced coma. Another of Paul's cousins, Clifford Gabara, he was 52 years old. He was grazed by a bullet. And as he turned to leave, Paul was heard saying, I've been waiting 20 years to do this. What the? I don't, I don't understand. Um. Well, spoiler alert, we don't have a motive for this. Um, I think it's just, for the most part, been chalked up to mental health, struggles with mental health. A lot of people speculate that Paul was upset with his sisters and his family's uh, success because he kind of seemed to have everything going for him in life and then just started struggling. After the carnage, Paul fled in his blue 2007 Toyota Camry. He was found five weeks later after a nationwide manhunt and a $100,000 reward. He was also shown on America's Most Wanted. Paul had made his way to the Florida Keys, and he was arrested January 2nd, 2010 at Edgewater Motel in Long Key, Florida. And the motel owner actually reported Paul after they recognized him from a broadcast aired during a college football game. Now, some people said that this was kind of like a commercial or so that I don't think they really do it anymore. I think now we all have the alerts on our phones, but when you would get the, you know, breaking news or whatever while you're watching TV, other people, other sources claimed that he had actually seen and recognized Paul from America's Most Wanted. But either way, he saw him on TV and he called police. It ended up that Paul had switched the plates on his car and kept the vehicle covered in the parking lot and had checked into the motel under a different name. And he was allegedly contemplating suicide before he was arrested. But he was arrested without incident He was held at Palm Beach County Jail without bail. The Paff family, they were the owners of the Edgewater Lodge, and they would eventually be granted the $100,000 reward money on March 4th of 2010. Paul was indicted by grand jury on four counts of first-degree murder and three counts of attempted murder. And the state was set to pursue death by lethal injection based on the scale of Paul's crimes, and how long he was on the run. He was one of the nation's most wanted criminals for over a month, and security footage even showed Paul just chatting with a store clerk, The uh, excuse me, a clerk at a gun store the day before the shooting. Okay, that is premeditated as fudge. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and he was like, there's pictures of it, online obviously of him in this gun store and he just seemed very casual nonchalant kind of i believe he told the clerk that he needed um the guns for hunting which is 
really I, I can't think of a word to describe that um bleak that doesn't feel strong enough so i don't want to say manipulative because i don't feel like he's manipulating it he's just it's very, it's very dark i was just about to say it's very dark and evil mm-hmm. i just oh i hate that he's like it's gonna be used for hunting and then he hunted down this entire family uh-huh. yeah and a lot of people said like if they wouldn't have, because obviously it's chaos, you know, everyone's going to run. Um, a lot of his family members said, like, they don't think he would have stopped. Like, he, his family is somewhat divided, but a lot of people believe, like, he, his plan was to just kill as many people as he possibly could. I would say he snapped, but I don't know that he really snapped. Yeah, it's hard to say he snapped when he's. He puts thought into it. And I'll I'll get into that a little more um not much farther down, but Okay. Uh many people publicly called for his execution, including John Walsh, the star host of America's Most Wanted, and Jim Sitton, Michaela's father. He was quoted saying, if there's anyone who deserves the death penalty, it is someone who would execute my six year old daughter while she's in bed. Oh. For sure. She didn't do shit to anyone. Yeah. And I believe it was I believe it was Jim who came out later and said he believes that he saw how much the family just loved Michaela and got jealous and that's why he just wanted to snuff out that light. But that she didn't do she's a baby. Yeah. But he had just met her that day. You had like other than the fact that she is a child, like you have, you just met her. What do you have against this this child? Well, my whole thing is, you met her that day. You think, oh, she's this light in this family. It's also a holiday, mm-hmm. and you're around friends and family. Of course, they're going. First of all, I'm not saying that she wasn't, but even at that, it's going to be much more like she's going to show that 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 light as he says that side because it's it's a holiday they're with family yeah. like they're just trying to show that they're having a good time patrick knight um paul's brother-in-law he wasn't expected to survive his injuries um he patrick knight is the one that had to be put in a coma for three months uh-huh he did survive and he came out to be the star witness in the trial what I found kind of interesting was Paul's parents, who supported him financially for his entire life, and like I said, he was 35 years old when he did this, they did not secure a private attorney for Paul, so he was assigned a public defender. Good. And this public defender, her plan was to argue an insanity defense, and they had plans to call experts on schizophrenia and obsessive compulsive disorder. Not really sure why schizophrenia. I could not see anything that said he had it or suffered from it, but I I don't know. I'm sure she's just doing her job. Yeah, I'm sure. Now, the prosecution, they had argued that Paul planned this attack. He had bought four guns. He packed clothes in his car, and he withdrew roughly $12,000 in cash. 
so he, it was planned. Like that's that's what mm-hmm. I'm struggling with. This is so premeditated. Yes. And when you mentioned that earlier, that's why I was like, <laughs> just wait. Because, yeah, he had all of this in the car, just ready to go. And so when he left, that's why he was supposedly on the run for so long. Because he just took off to the Florida Keys and hit out. Oh, he also, uh, I thought I had it in here. Did I mention earlier he switched the license plate on his car? Yes, you did. Okay. Yeah, so just, he... This was very planned in my unprofessional yeah, opinion. Yeah. yeah, opinion. Yep. 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 <laughs> yep. Yep. Opinion. Um, three months before the trial was set to begin, a plea was offered, taking the death penalty off the table. No. Circuit oh. Judge Joseph Marks, he listened to numerous testimonies, especially from the family members. Carol Marriage, Paul's mother, she I don't know what her plan was, um, but she testified that she had told her daughter, Lisa, quote, I hope he doesn't come and kill us all tonight. And she claimed that Lisa had replied to her, mom, it came to my mind, but don't say that to dad because dad would get upset that we had such ideas. Which is. (sighs) Why would you say that? I don't, don't understand. Know. That doesn't make sense to me why she would admit that. I don't know. I don't know. Also, uh, I don't know. I hate it. Um, Carol and her husband, Michael, Paul's father, they both pled for leniency for Paul. Jim Sitton. He already got the death penalty taken off. That's pretty lenient. Well, this is why, this is when the judge, from my understanding, the judge was deciding whether or not to allow this plea to go through. Oh, okay. Gotcha. So, yeah, they're, they're like asking him like, yes, you know, give, give him the opportunity, let him take the plea deal. Jim Sitton, Michaela's father, he collapsed to his knees and the article said, well, multiple articles. They said that he actually had a lock of Michaela's hair in his hands this day as he collapsed to his knees and he was led back to his seat as he pled for the deal to be stopped. He wanted Paul, he wanted Paul to be executed. I mean, I can't look, I, from his parent Mm -hmm. perspective, I can't blame him. Like he lost his daughter. Yeah. He is. It's like, I go back and forth with the death penalty, but, like, this is one where I'm just like, well, it's it's hard. It's a sticky. I'm glad I don't have to make these decisions. I guess yes. I'll just leave it at that. Oh, I for <laughs> sure. Now, Patrick Knight, he also attended this hearing, and he was still wearing his wedding band while he was there. He spoke of the magnitude of loss he suffered at the hands of Paul, losing not only his wife, but what would have been their first child together. And Patrick really let Paul have it. He claimed that Paul was a fat, lazy failure. He never had a girlfriend. He couldn't hold down a job. He stayed home on his computer all day. And he was quoted saying, this defendant stole the lives of four of the most beautiful people because he was jealous, because he was angry. Because he didn't want to see anyone do better than him. Okay, look, I know you're upset. 
But this whole fat, lazy, blah, blah, like it's mm, sounds like you're letting a lot of emotions in, which I can't blame mm-hmm. you. I cannot blame you. The whole girlfriend thing, um, that one's iffy to me because some people just don't like relationships or aren't good in relationships. Yeah. But that doesn't make them murderers. Yeah. The same with being on your computer all day. Like, the, right. Plenty of people just pre- prefer to be alone. Yeah. And that's fine. Like, go ahead and be alone. It doesn't mm-hmm. matter, but don't murder people. Yeah. That's what I'm kind of like stuck with. Like, yeah, you got Delta shit hand, Paul, but a lot of people. But I don't feel like it was that shit. Yeah. Like, he had a good thing. How many parents nowadays will, I mean, granted, this is 2009, but how many parents nowadays would just willingly support their 35-year-old son? Not my parents. Hell no, not mine. (laughs) My parents didn't support me when I was 18. Damn it. Like, (laughs) Like, okay, let me correct this. My parents would not financially support me if I were not doing something to... To better yourself. To better myself, or mm-hmm. I were not showing that I was trying. Like, if I were to call them today and be like, look, we're really struggling, we need just money for groceries or whatever, my parents would. And that, that to me, is a form of financial support, right? Yes. But they would not just let me be home all day playing video games. Not even trying to better myself or my situation. No. Right. There's no way. Absolutely not. My dad would be like, hey, you want internet? I'm gonna have to pay for it. Yeah. At least go do the dishes, something. Yeah. So after hearing all of these um, statements, testimonies, what have you, Judge Marks, he, if anybody understood what Patrick went through, Judge Marks actually did because he lost his pregnant wife in 1994 when she was shot. So he kind of, I mean, very, very similar circumstances. Okay, that makes me question, though, if he could be impartial mm-hmm. during this and if that's going to cause issues later down the road, if he makes one decision that maybe does not benefit Paul very much. I'm glad you said that because I, I thought the exact same thing when I read this. And to me, it was surprising because he accepted the plea deal. And he told the victim's families, quote, I make sure that I go out and do my best to live a good life every day. And I try to remember every good thing I did. I believe one day I'll see them again, talking about his wife and unborn child. And I want to remember to be able to tell them this is what I did on this day. So he allowed this plea deal to go through. Okay. Paul Marriage pled guilty on October 27, 2011, to four counts of first-degree murder and three counts of attempted first-degree murder. Judge Marks sentenced Paul Marriage to seven consecutive life sentences, and part of his plea deal is he also waived his right to appeal. Okay. Maybe, and maybe that was part of it, is he was like, this this plea deal means that he can't appeal, he will never mm-hmm. get out. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He He literally says... He will never, in in regards to Paul Marriage, Judge Marks was quoted saying he will never see the light of day. Okay. Okay. I can maybe see how he was like, if we were, if I were to deny the plea deal and say go forward with the death penalty, then we open up 
him to plea deal or not plea deals mm-hmm. to appeals and maybe one yeah. of those works or goes through especially if they're doing an insanity defense yeah and that would be much more traumatic for the family mm-hmm. than him getting life in prison with no chance of appealing yeah okay he uh judge marks he also addressed jim sitting directly and told them told him that regardless of what he meaning Jim did, the prosecutors had agreed not to pursue the death penalty. So this left Judge Marks with life in prison as the only option. So he kind of, it, it seemed to me like he kind of told him like, look, my hands are tied here. They've already said they're not going to pursue the death penalty. This is kind of the best that I can do. Mm-hmm. Both the sittings, uh, twice and Patrick Knight once, Attempted to sue Carol and Michael Marriage for wrongful death. But both both of these cases were thrown out. Palm Beach County Circuit Judge Minu Sasser, she said that they did not, they meaning Paul's parents, they did not control the premises or firearms, and they had no legal right or ability to control the actions of their son. And while the facts of this case are incredibly tragic, the sittings have not and cannot factually allege the existence of a legal duty under Florida law as it currently exists. So basically, they try to sue the parents and say, like, hey, you knew he had mental health issues. You knew he was coming to this. Um, and what? Carol said in court that day about how she had told her daughter, I hope he doesn't come kill us all. They use that against her in this lawsuit. But again, under like, according to the Florida law, there's nothing they can really do. They're not seen as responsible for him. He was an adult. He was 35 years old. He drove himself there, you know, just numerous circumstances to where the, the cases were both thrown out. And uh, that's the story of Paul Marriage. He's in jail, still in jail, will be in jail. Um, glad about that, honestly. Yeah. Like, and it's so hard because I get like the parents wanting or like the victims' families wanting the death sentence, but I get the judge saying this is this is the better option. He can't mm-hmm. appeal. He can't. He can't get out for any reason. Yeah, even a technicality. Like, mm-hmm. the no appeal, that's, I mean, that's kind of huge, right? in my opinion. Right. But. Oh, yeah, okay. sorry. I was prepared for Thanksgiving. Sorry about it. Well, I wasn't prepared for that story. But. I will say. Guys, I did not do a Thanksgiving story. Hmm. Not because I didn't want to, but because I was like, oh, I'll do a Thanksgiving cryptid. And then the only thing that came up was Gobble Squatch. And I was like, this is stupid as hell. And I don't want to even read about it. Gobble Squatch? Yeah. Okay. So, uh, so I did a story, though. And I kind of love this story. And maybe it's because in our timeline where we're actually at, um, 
maybe it's because Halloween's coming up. And so this was just a really, this one got me. It hooked me. It was one of those stories. I don't know if you do this, but I do this. I will open, like I'll go through and I'll be like, oh, maybe I'll do this story. And I'll open a bunch of articles and I'll read like the first couple lines about it and see if I want to. And then if it like doesn't spark my interest, I move on. Yeah. This one I pulled up. It wasn't sparking my interest until I saw one article. And I was like, oh, we're sold. We are sold. So I'll tell you why later. But we're going to talk about the Highgate Cemetery. Have you ever heard of Highgate? No, but I'm always down for a cemetery. I don't think we've done a cemetery. I don't think so either. And if we have, it's been a while. Mm -hmm. But we're going to do Highgate Cemetery, which is located on Swains Lane in London. And currently, Highgate is comprised of two different sites. Swains Lane separates the two sites, one east site, other west site. Okay. When Highgate was opened, it was part of a planned cemetery expansion. That's at least what I'm calling it. So London had planned to provide seven large and modern cemeteries. The project since has become known as the Magnificent Seven for the seven cemeteries. And these Magnificent Seven cemeteries were to be placed on the outside of central London. The inner city cemeteries by this time in the 1830s, they just were no longer able to meet the need of London's deceased as the cemeteries were already crowded and full. It was so bad people were burying their loved ones on their own in alleyways in random places. So it kind of also became a public health concern. And many people basically said it was disgraceful to manage this deceased, how they were as well. So they're going to open these seven shiny new cemeteries. Okay. One of them being Highgate. Now the design of Highgate cemetery was completed by architect Stephen Geary. Stephen's actually best known work is the Highgate cemetery. And Stephen would, after he passed, he would actually be buried in Highgate. So I feel like that seemed fitting. Yeah. Highgate was opened in 1839. It was the third of the Magnificent Seven to open. On Monday, May 20th, 1839, Highgate West, which is the first site that would be opened. Highgate West was dedicated to St. James. St. James is one of the 12 apostles. So it was dedicated to him, uh, completed by Reverend Charles James Bloomfield, Lord Bishop of London. That's a title. I know. I always read their titles and I'm like, dang, I need a title like that. For real. Like I need a breath during that title. I know, right? I need to imagine how big his headstone would have to be. So big. So just but you know what? It would fit in at Highgate Cemetery just fine. They have plenty of space. Mm. They they got plenty of writing space, I guess. So, initially, when Highgate opens, it's 15 acres. No, I'm sorry. It's 17 acres. 15 of those acres were consecrated for the use of the Church of England. And two acres were set aside for dissenters. So, anyone that's not part of the Church of England in 1839. Mm, Okay. The first of them. I feel like they don't have to do that. Two acres. Like, it's not a lot compared to the 15 acres that the church got. True. But granted, this, you know, the church did a lot with it. There were churches on the property or near the property. Regardless, the uh, first burial was on May 26th, 1839. 
And that was of Elizabeth Jackson of Little Windmill Street, Soho. She was a 36-year-old spinster. Oh, I couldn't okay. find, yeah, I couldn't find record of what her cause of death was, but she was the first to be buried here. I'm sure it was loneliness being a spinster because she was just oh so upset that she didn't have to pick up after a man all day. Oh, God. <laughs> but she also didn't have a man to be like, hey, go tear out my carpet. Oh, okay. Yeah, uh, that's fair. So not that you need a man, but she had, she didn't have someone she could tell to do that. Yeah, that part's... Oh, mm-hmm. no, she had to take out her own trash, too. Oh, man. That's a boy job. Gross. Ugh. Ugh. Anyways. So, Highgate very quickly becomes the it place for burials. Okay. okay. It's With what the thoughts were and the views on death and burials were at the time, it was like the it place. What is Buck so, having the time of life? So, people were just dying to get in? They were just dying to get in, yeah. <laughs> but it's and the same goes for the other Magnificent Seven. They were the very fashionable places to be buried. Oh, okay. <laughs> That's what article said was fashionable. I don't know what that means, but that must be that must be an across the pond thing. I think so. But this was also during a time with the the very gothic tombs and the nice buildings like these are whole ass fancy everything like right? mausoleums and shit yes oh okay yeah so a lot of people at this time would actually even just go in to see the architecture they wanted to see what was going on in the buildings and all of that so this it is was a very bougie oh cemetery it was fancy okay <laughs> And a lot of people were doing things to just outdo one another. Oh my gosh, you're dead. You don't have to keep up with the Joneses anymore. That's the last time you're keeping up with the Joneses is getting (laughs) into Highgate, okay? Now, in 1854, they would actually acquire an additional 19 to 20 acres of land because they needed it for Highgate. Because it was popular. It It was a pop in. And this is the second site. So this is actually what's considered the East, East Highgate. So the original, the OG that was opened up in 39 is West Highgate. New is East Highgate. Not that they were open far apart. We're talking 39 to 54, what, 15 years? Yeah, sure. it's 15 years. Yeah, yeah, that sounds great. Okay. <laughs> so that additional 19 to 20 acres would officially form the East side of the cemetery. And it would officially open in 1860. Now, Amanda already kind of said, like, this is not what we expect, like, for cemeteries on this side of the pond, on the ocean. Yeah. Cemeteries are not like this, right? We've got headstones, your body's there. Like, we're not doing these bougie mausoleums and tombs. You literally just come to decay. Yeah. Park it here. Drop it like it's hot. I don't know. I don't know. Okay. Just whatever happens, right? Now, this cemetery, it is full of trees, shrubs, wildflowers. Essentially, it feels like it's kind of one with nature from what I got gathered. This vegetation is said to have just been allowed to grow and has not had human intervention in planting or growth. However, that has come with time. After the World Wars, the original company that owned the cemetery, they would start to struggle and they would eventually go bankrupt. And so due to them going bankrupt, Highgate would actually become neglected for some time. And so nature was allowed to do what it does. 
mm-hmm. and that's grow. So <laughs> it it grew. It did its thing. That makes sense because it looks like it looks like old ruins that Almost. you would see on like Laura Croft or something. And Tomb a lot Raider. of them, yes, I'm glad you said that because they do. They Ooh. look like Tomb Raider. Mm-hmm. So there are also small animals that inhabit the ground, namely foxes. And a lot of people are like, this cemetery has basically become a little animal sanctuary as well due to the conditions and the wildlife that just kind of took up residence there. So it's kind of its own little sanctuary. Now, in 1975, the Friends of Highgate Cemetery Trust was set up. And this trust would also eventually come to acquire Highgate Cemetery. And they would gain control in 1981. So it starts kind of declining because of the bankruptcy. They then take over in 1981. And to this day, the Friends of Highgate Cemetery Trust is maintaining the cemetery. Okay. Both the east and west side of the cemetery is still used for burials today. Though there are very limited plots. So they can't take everyone. They have very limited space. So still a very fashionable place to um i don't necessarily know if it was if it's still fashionable or if they're just full you know mm-hmm. now i want to talk about some of the features on the original west end on the west side they have what is called the egyptian avenue and i Ooh. do have those pictures labeled the egyptian avenue has 16 volts on each side and each volt consists of 12 coffins and you enter this through this massive and very impressive arch which I did add the picture of. Love it. For, this is what you're talking, looks like Tomb Raider. Yes. Yes, it does. It's got that Egyptian architecture. It's very, it's above ground tombs. Like it's very. The arch has the natural canopy. Mm-hmm. It's very cool. It's very, it is very cool. It's very pretty. I don't want to say it's out of place, but it isn't the normal London architecture that you would see. It is that Egyptian style. But it's gorgeous. It's so pretty. So they have all of that with the Egyptian Avenue. They also have what's called the Circle of Lebanon. Originally, there was a 280-year-old cedar of Lebanon that sat in this area. It was cut down and replaced in 2019. I didn't get clarity as to why, but it did place in 2019 but the tree was there first and so the architecture just kind of built the tombs around the tree and so that is the circle of lebanon it was 30 it consisted of 36 vaults that were built around this tree both of these areas both the circle of lebanon and the egyptian avenue feature very elaborate tombs vaults winding paths that are dug into hillsides very fancy okay And then you have the terrace catacombs. And those are actually the highest point. There are 55 volts and 15 coffins can be fit into each vault. So you're looking at room for 825 bodies. Holy crap. Now, the the terrace catacombs, these aren't like the typical catacombs you see in London. These are actually built into a hillside. So you don't go directly underground. They're built into the hillside. But I had to do some Googling. Because every time I was reading about this, I kept seeing a reference to grade one and grade two buildings. Mm-hmm. I had no idea what the hell those were. So I had found out this has to do with like historical buildings and their importance. 
So a grade one building means that the site is of exceptional national architectural or historical importance. So it's like really rare to find grade one, grade one buildings. Grade two buildings means they are of special architectural interest and sources stated that any building or structure older than July 1st, 1948 can be listed under a grade two building. Of the three places that we just spoke about, the Egyptian Avenue and the Circle of Lebanon are both grade one buildings. So I thought that was impressive. That means they're old as balls. That means they're old and exceptional. Yeah. Oh, okay. I'm color me impressed. (laughs) Right. The terrace catacombs are great too. So they're old, but just not as impressive as the other one. Now with these tombs, there was also an issue that Highgate would eventually face. And that was exploding coffins. (laughs) Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Wait, pause. What is, I mean, I know, I know what. Why is an exploding coffin? I'm going to tell you. Thank you. I would love to know. Literally. uh, I feel like (laughs) that should go on my list of fears. Well, don't worry about it because I think these have been fixed. So the exploding coffins were happening because of regulations at the time that the tombs were being built. They were required to be enclosed in lead. And this was to prevent decomposition fluids from leaking. And keep in mind, this is also has to do with the regulations they had for above ground tombs, because that's what these are. These are above ground tombs. But this was, they were like, it has to be sealed in lead, all these blah, 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 because of the decomposition fluids. We don't want those leaking. So what happened was they didn't think about the decomposition gases that were building up inside of the coffins. And so eventually these coffins were just filling up with these decomposition gases so much so that the pressure would finally cause the coffins to just explode like a can of biscuits uh-huh oh no so to fix this they just essentially drilled a hole into the coffin placed a pipe inside and then lit a match to burn off the decomposition gases and that's how they solved that what does that can't believe i'm about to ask this what does that smell like? I decomposition gases. That's got to be the worst smell in the planet. And I don't know who had to do that, but they were underpaid. Oh, for sure. I'm sure. Yeah. I just... Can you imagine having to be the one to light the match to burn off the decomposition gases? Can you imagine being married to the person that has to light the match to burn off the decomposition matches uh, gases, and then he comes home and you're like, oh, honey, how was work? You know what? Never mind. Smells like you had a real busy day today. Can you imagine being the one to find out that it was decomposition gases building up and exploding coffins? Can you imagine walking into a catacomb or a tomb? After hearing an explosion and be like, what the hell was, oh my God, Janice is on the ceiling. (laughs) Can you just imagine the horror of the person that was like, I swear to God, this coffin exploded. I wonder if people went to jail over this and then they were like, oh, wait, no, this is our fault. 
I don't, I didn't see anything saying that anyone was jailed. I think most of the reports, I shouldn't say I think, most of the reports that were like, oh, people thought it was like a ghost or a demon because at the time they were like, we don't have an explanation. And then they figured it out and they're like, oh, thank God it's not a ghost or a demon. No, thank God it's not a ghost <laughs> or a demon. We're just hotboxing our corpses. It's fine. Yeah. Well, I mean, it doesn't get any better. So Ugh. we'll talk about ghosts and demons and other stuff later. So, some notable figures that were laid to rest on the West End include painter, engraver, and illustrator Henry Alkin, director, actor, screenwriter, playwright, songwriter, and poet Jane Arden, early photographer who was honored by Queen Victoria as photographer in ordinary, Antoine Claudette. Um, You also have Alfred Lambert Dickens, the younger brother to Charles Dickens. Catherine Dickens, Charles Dickens' wife, John and Elizabeth Dickens, the parents of Charles Dickens, Fanny Dickens, Charles Dickens' sister, they are all buried there. So all of the Dickenses except for Charles. Yes, because Charles is not buried there. He's buried on Poet's Corner at Westminster Abbey. So fair, but the, the importance of the Dickens is there. Okay. So all of the Dickens except the The Dickens. Yeah. And let's just be honest, the list of notable figures for the West End just goes on. It goes from artists to lawyers to British civil servants who ran aspiring for the KGB. Just all the... Oh, okay. I I threw that in. That was Arthur Wynne, by the way. (laughs) Um, I knew you would like that one. Because I was like, who the hell is... Who is a British civil servant running aspiring for the KGB? I mean, he's no Enrique Iglesias, but... He's not. He's Arthur Wynne. Mm -hmm. Now, that's the West End. The east end of Highgate is more of a cemetery that at least we would kind of know of here in America. They more like what we know, not necessarily what we know. There's not as many buildings, not as many vaults, but they do still have monuments, though some of those monuments are listed as grade one buildings. But most of the graves are just kind of headstone or a monument of some sort. There is a fireman's corner that is there it is listed as a monument that was erected by the widows and orphans of members of london's fire brigade it was erected in 1934 and there are 97 firemen buried there and i want to go into some notable figures we have charles green he is a famous balloonist what is that like hot air hot air balloon i understood that as hot air balloon yeah Okay, because it was either that or he was really good at making balloon animals. <laughs> I was going to say, I, I'm fairly certain it's hot air balloon. I thought fo- uh, hot air balloon, not balloon. Maybe he was both. Maybe he was in a hot air balloon making balloon animals and then just dropping them. Oh, he deserves to be there. <laughs> he for sure. You have Liza Hemming. She was an opera singer and composer. William Freese Green. He was a cinema pioneer. The sources that I read, actually, most of them just gave him credit as being the inventor of cinematography. Oh, so So, the grandfather. Yeah, he's up there. You have Douglas Adams. Do you know who that is? No, should I? He's the author of The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Oh, so I should. Yeah. And then this next one, I think you're going to recognize. Karl Marx. Carl, the Karl Marx. The Karl Marx. And his tomb is listed as a grade one building. I and I that. do have the picture on <gasps> there of his tomb. 
Okay, that I, I think I'm looking at it. It's it's he's got a bust. It's on there. Yep. He's yep. I think I labeled him KM so you didn't see Karl Marx. Yeah, and but I was looking at it and I'm like, who is this guy? He feels important. So yeah. Pretty, it's Karl Marx. Pretty important. So for those of you that don't know Karl Marx, he's a very famous advocate for communism. He literally wrote a book called The Communist Manifesto. Yeah. So let's just throw that out there. The good communism, though. Not like, yeah, not like all the other ones. So his tomb has actually been the site of an attempted bombing, not just one attempted bombing, but two attempted bombings, one in 1965 and one in 1970. And his tomb also suffers from a lot of vandalism. Yeah, that seems about right. Uh-huh, that tracks. Mm-hmm. And again, there's just so many notable figures. Between both the East and West Side, there are at least 850 notable people buried at Highgate. There are 18 royal academicians, six Lord Mayors of London, 48 fellows of the Royal Society, and that list just continues to go on. Tons of poets, actors, everything. What is a Lord Mayor? A high-ranking political figure. Okay. Because my first thing is, like, he's someone that's a mayor and a lord. Maybe that's they are. Just, that's just a guess to me. But. Yeah. They, how I understand Lord Mayors, they are a political figure. They sound very important. Like, it's not just a a lawyer or a mayor. It is a lord. Lord mayor. A lawyer. I made that part up. Yeah, they're not lawyers. (laughs) They might be lawyers. I don't know. But they're lord mayors. Well, then they would be a lord, lawyer, mayor. These are just lord mayors. Yeah, let's not add any more L's in there. (laughs) You're already struggling with the one. Along with these notable figures, the cemetery also contains the graves of 318 Commonwealth Service personnel. And this is maintained and registered by the Commonwealth War Graves Commission. There are 259 graves from World War I and 59 from World War II. It doesn't feel like a lot from World War II. Yeah, World War II was like mm, nothing. But World yeah. War I had quite a few. So mm. Now, there are some estimates that state that there are about 170,000 people buried here. Holy crap. So this place is huge. Which this, I guess is, is uh, what, as of now, over 30 acres? 35? Yeah, like 37 acres. 37? Okay. So this place is huge. Definitely a place to visit if I'm ever near here. I did talk to Cody and I was like, we need to visit in the daytime because I think it'd be so interesting to go see. Oh, I'm not going anywhere near this place at night. <laughs> like, a regular no. cemetery is creepy enough. This Laura Croft bullshit in the middle of the night? Absolutely not. And there's foxes everywhere? No thanks. Hard pass. Well, you're just going to have to get over it. So, today, the older sections, such as Egyptian Avenue and the Circle of Lebanon, they can be visited in tour groups. The newer section, specifically the East side with more of the angel statues and the monuments those can be toured unescorted so you can pay for one or both or whatever now there is a chunk of history that i left out because it's getting into the paranormal territory would you like to take just a stab at what the history could include um apparitions like full-bodied apparitions i mean yes but that's not what i'm getting at 
vampires. Shut the front door. Vampire. Well, one vampire. Okay. Are we talking like like Rose from the Dead? Let's talk about it. His coffin exploded and he just, he was like, (laughs) all right, I'm thirsty. We're out. Cool. Good deal. (laughs) So what we're going to talk about specifically, this is what would become known as the Highgate vampire sensation. Some people cite the craze of the vampire as originating from horror films, specifically because they had horror films shot in Highgate Cemetery. Others simply cite occult or Satanist. Okay. Okay. Either way, we do know that rituals and black magic have been performed at Highgate, as seen with the pentagrams left behind at the cemetery on numerous occasions. On October 31st, 1968, a group of kids that were interested in the occult, I call them kids, they call them young people, I'm pretty sure it's kids, they visit Tottenham Park Cemetery, so it's not Highgate, but this kind of was where the craze starts. Now, at this time, this cemetery is already being regularly vandalized. Um, So on October 31st, 1968, a group of kids interested in the occult, they visit Tottenham Park Cemetery, no not Highgate, it's about 30 minutes away. But Tottenham was, at this time, it was being regularly vandalized. And according to the reports of the group of young people, they would arrange flowers taken from graves. And they would place them in a circular pattern with arrows of blooms pointing to the new grave that they had placed. The new grave was uncovered, not hard to find. But a coffin was open with a body inside that had clearly been disturbed. And an iron stake in the form of a cross had been driven through the lid and into the breast of the corpse. So this kicks off the vampire sensation. Okay, first of all, what the hell are y'all doing? I don't know. Like, I, I, I kept thinking, like, okay, so you said, like, they were desecrating graves. And I kept thinking, like, okay, they stole the flowers. That's all they did. Oh, no. okay, they, they dug it up. That's all they did. Oh, okay. Uh, they impaled it. That's all. That's it gets all better. Right? Oh, this whole story gets better. Okay, Good that's all God. they did that night. Okay, are they? Are are y'all okay? Don't you have school tomorrow? Homework? Something? No. Ooh, somebody needs a different after-school activity. I don't know if you caught on, but they did that on Halloween night. Yeah, I I okay. caught that. I didn't say anything, but yeah, October thirty-first. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, so that that whole thing, that's kind of the first vampire craze stuff that they start seeing. Not long after this incident, David Ferrant, he would write a letter to the Hampstead and Highgate Express. Now, he writes this letter in February of 1970. And in this letter, he is detailing something that he saw on the night of December 24th, 1969. So, so basically... Christmas Eve. Yeah. So in this letter, he claims that he was passing by Highgate Cemetery and he saw something very unusual. He had seen a gray figure. He would clarify that he did not consider this to be a human and he did consider it to be supernatural. He claimed that it was seven to eight feet tall. It was wearing a cloak or a hood or something similar. Its face was white and its eyes were red. Now, I do want to mention David Ferrant is a paranormal investigator. So he's a psychic paranormal investigator. So he sees this. He writes into the Highgate, what was it? The Hampstead and Highgate Express newspaper. And he's like, what 
this is what I saw. He claims that the temperature in the area dropped like significantly. And he's asking, like, has anyone else seen this? Like, what's going on? And by the 13th of February, several people had already replied. At least four people had replied. Some stated to have seen different ghosts, those including a man in a tall tall hat. No, I'm sorry. A tall man in a hat. A spectral cyclist. A woman in white. A face glaring through the bars of the gate. A figure wading into a pond. And a pale gliding form. So the people are seeing things. For some reason, what what stood out to me the most... Did you just say a ghost riding a bike? You said that, right? <laughs> I said a spectral cyclist. Yes. <laughs> that is what stood out the most to me. And I'm not really sure why. Because if it were you as a ghost, you would not want to be stuck on a bike for the rest of eternity. Absolutely not. I'm yeah. not doing cardio for the rest of my life. For the that's, rest of my not life. Yeah. For the rest of eternity. Oh, that's horrible. Yeah. They also claim to hear sounds such as bells ringing, voices calling to them, the normal haunted cemetery stuff. Okay, feels, yeah. But one man in particularly, in particularly, in particular. So one man in particular, later he would come out. So later he doesn't write an article, but he comes out and Sean Manchester, he would claim he knew what David Farron's gray figure was. Oh, okay. Okay. It was a vampire. Um, really tall, gray, white face, red eyes. Okay. Vampire. Yeah. Now, he comes forward with witnesses. He's He says there's one set of witnesses, two young girls, and then he also mentioned, like, an older lady or whatever it was. But he claimed that the vampire attacked... Oh, I'm sorry. So he claims that these witnesses right here, they had seen something or had seen them in in the cemetery. He also has one witness. He claimed that the vampire attacked in their own home. He explains that she had seen something, felt this great terror. When she woke up, it wasn't a nightmare. And she had two bite marks on her neck. Okay, but I thought vampires had to be invited into your home. Did she have a welcome mat? Don't, guys, don't have a, get, have a get the fuck Rookie out mistake. mat, okay? Yeah. Rookie mistake. Don't have a welcome mat. You're literally just welcoming shit all the time. Yeah. Even have family. An, have an unwelcome mat. Thank yeah. you. Have a please go away. Or like <laughs> I saw one the other day that said pull the lever cronk. Even that's fine. Yeah, that's fine. So, Sean Manchester, he basically is like, this was a king vampire. Uh, oh. oh, And he knew this by the crown? I guess so. Okay. And he comes forward with this information and the media freaking loses it. They latch on and they run with it. Media's gonna media. Yeah. So essentially the vampire is said to be a medieval nobleman. They They had practiced black magic in Romania. The claim is that his coffin was brought from, I assume Romania, but my sources all said other parts of Europe to England in the 18th century. Now, it's believed that his followers would set him up in a house on the West End, and he would eventually be buried in Highgate. And he had slumbered peacefully in Highgate, in his tomb, and that was until either occultists, Satanists, whatever you want to call them, they performed a ritual at the cemetery that would wake him up. And I bet you anything, he was ticked about being woken up. He's grouchy, you woke him up, he didn't plan to wake up, Mm -hmm. and you just woke his ass up. 
You better have some orange juice. You sure as shit better have some blood-laced orange juice for him. Mm -hmm. Okay. Some blood orange juice. Some bloody orange juice, yeah. (laughs) Um, But that's what the claim of who, or kind of who, the vampire was. I feel like, what, hold on, I'm sorry. What what year did all this happen? This is in the late 60s, early 70s. Because they learned a lot about this vampire before Google was even a thing. (laughs) I know, right? Probably the man that made Google was even a thing. They were super resourceful. We're not that resourceful. No, and we have Google. Yeah. Like, what What were y'all doing? I don't know. I have no idea. They had to have taken the coffin to, like, a college and some, like, super smart professor was like, those are Romanian markings. And the newspaper was like, all right, send Lord Edward to Romania. Stat. Put them okay. on a boat, car. But probably. I haven't said that they have a coffin. I'm just telling well, you they have eyewitnesses. Well, they might have if they wouldn't have exploded. <laughs> the point is, is this is what they believe the high or who they believe the Highgate vampire is. Now, the Highgate vampire is said to be tall, a dark figure. He glides through the cemetery. His presence is often accompanied by a sudden drop in temperature. He also causes clocks and watches to stop, which, by the way, he is like the classic Bram Stoker vampire. So I feel like him causing watches and clocks to stop doesn't seem safe for him. Shouldn't he want to know what time it is so he can get out of the sun? Yeah, it it feels like it. So that's like, that's just kind of a silly move there, my friend. Yeah. But animals that have taken residence in Highgate are also said to be terrified of him. Like, they avoid wherever he is, which I would too. Yeah, and fair. Sh- and the vampire is also often blamed for dead foxes on the cemetery grounds. And it, he's been blamed for it on various occasions. He's also said to have a very hypnotic stare. And many people claim that if you are in his presence, he drains your energy. I would rather he drain my energy than drain my blood. Well, maybe he's draining your energy so he can drain your blood. No, I don't like that. I need it. Okay. So that's the description. And you know what? The media frenzy just fueled public interest in the Highgate vampire. Mm-hmm. The at-home vampire hunters, they were freaking ready. They were grabbing their stakes. They were grabbing their crosses. They were grabbing everything. They were ready. Pitchforks whatever they needed they had the garlic and the crosses (laughs) whatever they needed okay now now highgate has to fight off vampire hunters right the cemetery itself because now people are coming in and they've got grave robbers grave desecrations and so many just disturbances people would open tombs they would mutilate bodies specifically they would often see that they would drive a wooden stake into the corpse Though some corpses did turn up in some odd places, specifically one person claimed to have woken up one morning to a headless corpse propped behind the wheel of their car. Uh, Hold on. Wait. Their car was parked near Highgate Cemetery. What? Uh Uh-huh. In God's name. So someone just walked in there, walked into the cemetery, took a head and was like, you know what? This probably wasn't the move. This idiot left his car unlocked. I'm just going to 
prop this head like April Fools. No, it was a headless body. Oh, <gasps> that's even worse. No, they did not have the head. It was the corpse without the head. Uh, for some reason, I was thinking it was a head on a dashboard behind. A- uh-uh. That's so much work. Lock your doors, guys. Lock your doors all the time because someone's yes. either going to take your purse or leave a headless body in your car. <laughs> the, those two things are always what happens, guys. Okay? <laughs> Every time. Every time. So that's kind of the height of the grave robbers uh, over there is someone does pull that body right on out. I hate that. Oh, for sure. Now, David Ferrant and Sean Manchester, the two characters we talked about, David sent in the letter. Sean was like, it's a vampire. Do you think these guys would be friends? Yes. Because they're both claiming to see something. They both believe something. I think they're going to meet at a a bar or a pub and just have a drink. They're both paranormal investigators, right? You would think they could find some common ground. Yeah. They didn't. Oh, they didn't like one another? <laughs> nope. They had a whole ass rivalry going on. Oh. Okay. Now, this might have been because David wrote in this letter and then all of a sudden Sean Manchester comes in and steals the spotlight off of David Ferrand because David's like, it's a, it's a vampire, guys. And he's like, I've got evidence. And David's like, what? I was just asking. I'm trying to get details. And Sean's like, no, 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 no. It's a king vampire. Okay, yeah, that's um, a little yeah. bit. He one-upped him. Yeah, he for sure did. Now, in addition to this, David Ferrant, he was like, I'm not so sure we've got a blood-sucking vampire on our hands. And you got Sean Manchester, who's like, oh, no, it's a vampire. It's and a David's king like, vampire. Thank you. Watch your mouth. <laughs> and so you're like, okay, okay. Also, David Ferrant and Sean Manchester had what you could call some different investigation methods. Okay. <laughs> Specifically, David Ferrant, he would be frequently in the news for black magic and sex rituals. Uh, this is his, this is, these are investigation tactics? How? He's dabbling in black magic and sex ritual. <laughs> uh, that sounds like a cult, sir. You're part of a oh, cult. God. Oh, my God. He he was something else. Let me just tell you, there is a documentary on Discovery Plus. I'll talk about it later. They do show, to some extent, those pictures. Obviously, they blur out the naughty parts. And I'm going to tell you right now, I made Cody watch that documentary with me last night. And the first thing I told him was he looked like a 12-year-old seeing boobies for the first time. Cody? No, the David Ferrand in the pictures during their sex magic or whatever. He looked like a 12-year-old that had just seen boobies for the first time. It's probably because that was his first time seeing boobies. Well, he has has two kids. Well, he has two kids. He had them before the black magic. Maybe they kept the light off. I, I don't know, but so they, like I said, they had a little bit of a different investigation <laughs> tactics here. Yeah, I'm starting to think that these people would probably, possibly, maybe not be friends. Yeah, maybe not. So basically, Ferrant and Manchester, they're playing who's the manlier man, right? Obviously, <laughs> the one that has sex parties. Excuse me, sex investigations, sex magic. Sex magic. I'm so okay. sorry. Okay. Jesus Christ. 
Um, so they would each claim that they would go be the one to go in and get rid of the Highgate Cemetery vampire. They were going to do all of this. And Manchester, he would declare he was going to be holding an exorcism on Friday, March 13th, 1970. Ooh, Friday the 13th. Did you know exorcisms worked on vampires too? Never heard of it, but okay. I thought it was like garlic crosses, wooden stakes, sunlight. Fire. But, uh, no, not yeah. fire, sunlight. Yes. No, fire, too. Oh, okay. Well, to some extent. But I didn't know exorcisms worked. Apparently, Sean Manchester was a self-proclaimed exorcist as well. So he could do he could just do it all. These guys get better and better. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it gets better. So <laughs> this whole event, he's like, we're going in on March 13th, 1970. And they basically have a call to vampire hunters all over London to join this vampire hunt. And... Tons of people heed the call. Did they put out flyers? <laughs> I think it was televised. <laughs> so tons of people come. And it very quickly turns into a mob at Highgate Cemetery. Oh my god. And they eventually end up swarming over the gates and walls into the cemetery. So Ooh. police did their best to control the crowd, but a wound up crowd ready to kick some vampire ass was a <laughs> little bit too much for the police to control. Imagine. I can't imagine, right? The mob swarms the gates, walls, they get over in a jiffy. The vampire hunt that night was unsuccessful. Surprise, surprise. What? However, no. however, many of the um, vampire hunters that came, they claim that after they entered the cemetery, they would end up retreating pretty quickly as they claim to have seen something crawling in the dark. Yeah. I would retreat pretty damn quickly. Right. I'm assuming it was probably like foxes that they saw, but I'm out still. It doesn't matter. Yeah. Anything crawling in the dark. It can be a beetle. Like I'm gone. Don't crawl in the dark. Right. Right. Uh Uh-uh. So they fail that vampire hunt and the hunt just continues because on August 1st, 1970, police would find the charred headless remains of a woman not far from the catacomb. They did suspect that this woman's body had been used in some sort of a black magic ritual. In August 1970, David Ferrant would be found in a churchyard beside Highgate. He was carrying with him a crucifix and a wooden stake. He was arrested for this incident, but charges would be later dismissed. To my understanding, there was some sort of black magic happening there. I don't know if it was a sex magic thing, but I know it was a black magic thing. What was he arrested on? Just curious. Do we know? Trespassing, because he was on Ah. church property after hours. Ah, okay. So he's arrested. Charges are later dismissed. Only a few days later, though, Sean Manchester, he would enter Highgate Cemetery. This time, him and his his companions, they would break into this family vault. I guess they had some psychic helper that told them, like, this is the right vault. Okay. They would break in, lift the lid off of one of the coffins, and they this specific coffin, they believed, to have been a mysteriously transferred from a different catacomb. They didn't explain that any further. But just as Sean Manchester is about to drive this stake through the corpse, one of his companions now starts talking sense into him. So this companion's like, well, well, maybe we don't, maybe this isn't the right corpse. Hold on. And I, in my mind, I'm like, you've already broken in. Where where was the voice of reason before? Yeah, like you got this far and you're like, mm, maybe this maybe is where not. we draw the line. Yeah. 
driving the stake through the heart of a potential vampire. Not sure. So they end up not driving the stake through the corpse. And instead, they close the coffin and they leave garlic and incense in the vault. Okay. (laughs) Thanks for setting the mood, I guess. Yes. Um, These are like some very dedicated vampire hunters. Uh, and okay. except for that one guy who was like no 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 maybe let's not do that yeah he was like hold on hold on hold on this doesn't feel right now there's more rumors about david ferrand and sean manchester because they've got this feud going on and they're like oh my gosh these two vampire I- hunters are going to be settling their issue how do you think vampire hunters paranormal investigators settle issues please please tell me it is some kind of Alterca- physical altercation. Some kind of duel. It is a magician's duel. Of course it is. What else would it be? What else would it be? Because the rumor was that David Ferrant and Sean Manchester were going to meet on April 13th, 1973. Also another Friday the 13th. But they were going to meet on Parliament Hill for a magician's duel. Apparently, these guys were also considered magicians. News to me. I mean, you're doing sexy black magic. It's the <laughs> next step, right? Magicians, that's right. Well, that duel never happened. Oh, so it was just a rumor. <laughs> but that, I'm going to let you know, that's the headline that caught my, um, caught my attention, is vampires, uh, the, something about a cemetery being the land where vampire hunters and magician duels occurred or something like that. And I was like, oh, done. This, That's this a newspaper is I would purchase. <laughs> yes. Um, so the duel doesn't happen. But David Ferrant, he would actually end up being arrested and charged for damaging memorials and interfering with dead remains in Highgate. It's about now, damn how, time. Yeah. How I understood it is it was actually that corpse found in the seat, the driver's seat of the car. That's what he was charged with. They had enough to believe it was him. So Now... <laughs> I just, I've got to know, the guy that found this <clears throat> headless corpse in his car, this is just a random person, right? Uh-huh. Rando. He, like, lives nearby. He parked his, and what's even better is it was, like, a brand new car. <gasps> no. Yeah. Uh, you're never going to get that smell out. Never. You're not getting that new car smell back. Mm-mm. No. Sorry. You got to sell that car, man. Uh, I'm sure he has by now. If he could. But he's so David Ferrant, he is arrested. And Ferrant, he insisted that the allegations were false and that it was actually the Satanists that framed him and not him. Like they did it, not him. But he ends up going to jail for several years. And this was in 1973. Now, in 1974, Sean Manchester comes back with this really big claim. Oh, God. Sean Manchester and his team would claim that they had tracked down the vampire and they did drive a stake through this vampire. They would also claim that they set it alight as well. And this, from how I read the articles, this was not found at the cemetery. It was found like at a house in London. But they did all of this. And the good news is the vampire is no longer an issue because it's gone. Sean Manchester took care of it. Mr. Manchester, who did you kill? I don't know. 
What the hell? They claim that they opened the lid of a coffin, then did all of that. A, a coffin in a house. According a, a to him. In a, that's, not, that's not okay, sir. Stop. Stop I, going into random cars and houses. Oh my God, lock your door. Lock all of your doors. I'm going to tell you, I couldn't find any proof of this. Like, I couldn't find anyone that provided proof of this happening. But I will tell you, Sean Manchester, adamant that they did this. Highgate vampire taken care of since 1974. Well, if it's anybody that I don't doubt, it's Sean Manchester. <laughs> oh, you would doubt him if you watched this documentary. It was, I pointed out to Cody, I'm like, when you first see videos of Sean Manchester, when he's first like, there's a vampire. He's very clean cut. He looks real, real put together. And then in 1974, he looks fucking crazy. I should have included pictures of them, but I did not because I was like, oh my God, these people are fucking crazy. Is this him? Uh, I think so. That looks like it. Oh my God. He looks freaking insane. He's, I don't even know how to explain it because he is something else and yes that picture that you showed me was in fact him um oh, oh my god actually no that one might be david ferrant they i don't fucking know I, they look so similar i couldn't figure them out but i also was like whatever um they're they're insane let me just tell you so <laughs> This happens all while Ferent is in jail, <laughs> right? He's in jail. Highgate vampire taken care of. David Ferent doesn't need to worry about it. However, Ferent, he, when he gets out of jail, he continues his investigations and he questions the legitimacies, the legitimacy of Manchester's claims. Because Ferent, he's like, no, this entity's still there. Dumbass. <laughs> <laughs> it's still here. Go try. But their feud just continues. Like, Sean Manchester releases a, a book that he writes. And then a couple years later, David releases a book. And there's just this back and forth, back and forth. And this feud of theirs goes on until Ferent's death in 2019. Oh, that was like yesterday. Yeah. And I'm sure, I'm sure there's still some sort of feud going on. Because I just get the feeling David Ferent wasn't going to let this rest. And he haunts Sean Manchester. Let me just tell you, I can't not, I refuse to not believe that because of how big of a rivalry they had. So that's where the Highgate vampire stands today. Along with the vampire, there are also ghost sightings in the cemetery. Those are quite frequent. When the first company to own the cemetery went bankrupt and Highgate began being neglected, many people would claim to have seen people in black cloaks cloaks roaming, roaming around the cemetery and they would find tons of signs of satanist rituals occult anything performed here so like not great things are happening there right didn't sound like it yeah not i'm not gonna be there i might go during the daylight because i want yeah. to see this place in person but i'm not going after dark yeah it, no. the first person in a black cloak i see i'm out yeah okay? i'm gonna be like you you know what i i I took, I, a wrong, I took a wrong turn. I'm not supposed to be here. I'm not supposed to be in this country. Sorry. Yeah, no. Whoops. Wrong turn, wrong turn <laughs> it out, Turkey. My bad. My bad. Hold on. 
So one man, he claimed to have broken down near the cemetery and he would see an apparition with red eyes glaring at him through the gates. This is actually very common that people see red-eyed demons often is what it referred to as staring at them through the gate. Another man was walking down Swain's Lane. He would get knocked to the ground by a creature that kind of seemed to glide from the wall of the cemetery. And then he would witness this creature dissolve when the lights of a car hit it. No. Yeah. Thank you. You also have the ghostly cyclist. He tends to be working his way up a steep incline when people see him. This poor guy. Oh, my God. He can't even go downhill. No, apparently not. Maybe he likes it. I don't think he does. I don't think so either. I think he did something wrong in life and this is his punishment. (sighs) It's awful. They also see the floating ghost of a nun. That is very frequent. They hear banshee cries, whispers, bell rings, footsteps. Many feel an unease or a feeling of being unwelcome there. People see a tall man wearing a top hat often. They see the shrouded figure. This figure appears to be like a gloomy woman. She's looking up at the sky. She ignores everyone around her. And when she's approached, she vanishes and then reappears a little further away, still staring up at the sky because don't fucking interrupt her. Yeah, honestly, like, that sounds great. Like, okay. Like, like, I'm busy. Ma'am, do you know what time it is? Like, be gone, simpleton. I'm staying at the Starbucks, (laughs) thanks. You also have a ghost who people call a mad old woman. She has long gray hair. They see her race through the graves looking for her children, though people claim she murdered her children in a fit of rage. Oh, I was going to be like, no, that's me. I'm the angry old lady, but no, I'm sorry. Have not, your, no, I'm not sorry. Have not murdered any kids. Yeah. Does your long gray hair flow in the wind as you run through the cemetery looking for your children? Uh, well, not really, because I don't run. Um, okay. I hitch a ride on the cyclist. <laughs> oh, gotcha. Yeah. Um, there is a woman in white who's frequently spotted. And some believe that David Ferrant may now be haunting Highgate as well. And I promise I'm almost done. So David Ferrant, he basically dedicated his entire life to Highgate. So people believe that it's kind of natural that his spirit may be stuck there now, or maybe even under a curse, something of that effect. And others just, that's who he was. That's His life was all of that. Now, since the 1970s, there has been a ban on paranormal investigations at Highgate Cemetery, which rightfully so, they fucking- like a good idea. They fought off vampire hunters, okay? I think that's fair. Yeah. There is, however, one amateur paranormal investigation team. They break these rules in 2020. Um, They break away from their group, and they would begin recording, and they believe they caught evidence of either a spirit or a vampire. Now, I'm going to just tell you guys, take it with a grain of salt. They did create a documentary based off of this. So if you want to go see it, it is on Discovery+. Plus. It is... The Curse of the Highgate Vampire. Um, just go watch it, guys. I made my husband watch it. <laughs> it mostly focuses on David Ferrant in an interview he completed in the 2000s. Uh, you know what? Grade A. I loved it. I made Cody watch it. Um, but that's where they stand now. I do want to mention <laughs> that there's claims that um, Sean Manchester may not be the nicest person if you defy what he, he claims to have happened. Shocking. Shocking. That's there is the craziest part of your entire story. 
I know, right? There is a woman from Canada that visited Highgate. She was very infatuated with it as well. I don't know if infatuated is the right word, but she was very drawn to Highgate. And she found some discrepancies that she was like, "Mm, these aren't right. So she posted an article and she would go on to detail that Sean Manchester would end up going through like her Facebook friends and messaging her friends and being like, she is a liar. You can't trust her. She's a horrible person. Bro, calm down. (laughs) And then she mentioned that she's like, he also tends to like post fat memes and pictures and like, I'm the target of them. And then there's, like, another paranormal investigator in that area. She lives in that area. She wrote a letter asking for, like, evidence or something of, to that effect to Sean Manchester. And he basically was like, I'll make your life a living hell. This is going to be the worst thing that ever happened. And so he's maybe not the nicest person when it comes to anyone disputing his claims. He sounds... <laughs> Delightful. He, he, he sounds busy in all the wrong uh, ways yes now the accuracy, <laughs> the accuracy of those i cannot tell you i'm just telling you what the report stated i'm gonna tell you right now i don't know that, that there was actually a vampire in that cemetery maybe a demon i can get behind that vampire is a little iffy for me yeah i would i would be i would believe demon before i believed vampire yeah so that's the story of the Highgate Cemetery and the Highgate Vampire. That was a wild ride you just took us down. I am telling you, this might be one of my favorites. Because uh, it's got everything. It's got vampires and magicians, and I'm sure there's werewolves in there, too. <laughs> oh, there has to be. I, I just didn't find the sources with them. Yeah, this is... Uh, this just- is- this was a wild ride you just I, took us down. I know. I can you imagine when I found that article and I was like, "Excuse you, a vampire and magicians?" I didn't know they were like the same people were investigating the vampire were the same as the magicians. I just saw the article and was like, "Hold up, this is yeah, no, that's um, if I saw that in a tabloid, knowing that tabloids are garbage, I would pick it up and read it." Oh. For sure, without a doubt. I'd be like, let me read. You know I what? gotta hear about this. I would I dare say I would purchase it. I to read I over might. and over again forever. <laughs> to just have it on my coffee table to talk about if I ever have people over, which I don't. So the day that I go to your house, which we apparently at this rate I'm grounded, I can never meet you in person. Probably for but the, the best. Yeah, the day I go over, I'm just gonna see a stack of tabloids with weird ass articles in them. Yep. And you're going to have them like sticky notes, like read this one first. Yep. Okay, then they're going to have one. tabs, mm-hmm. color coordinated. Uh-huh. uh-huh. And James is going to be like, for the love of God, talk to her about this because I'm tired of hearing it. And I'm going to be like, shut your dirty face. We're going to talk <laughs> about it all day and night. Shoo, shoo, go play with Cody. Yeah. So. All right. Thank you all for listening to Hell on Heels podcast. To see pictures from this episode, you can follow us on Instagram, Hell on Heels podcast, X or formerly Twitter, Hell on Heels pod, Facebook, Hell on Heels podcast. You can find us on Linktree by typing in Hell on Heels podcast. We should be the first one that pops up. If you want to support us, please like, review, rate, share, and subscribe on your preferred listening platforms. If you want to take your support one step further so we can create additional content for you, you can donate through Patreon. We're working to release specials for our patrons. If you have your own true crime or paranormal stories, suggestions, or just words of encouragement, please email us at helenhillspodcast at gmail.com. Thank you all so much for listening. 
be sure to tell your friends to listen with you as well. Bye. Bye.